What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 106 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only David Johannes Hoag. <laughs> How are you tonight? Uh, good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's trying good to be to, here. Trying to reach into your Scandinavian heritage there. My Northern European. Indeed. Uh, Dave, you found out something fun about your last name. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I found out that it's Irish, which... At best, somebody somewhere along the line was like, "Yeah, we're German." <laughs> so, well, welcome to the welcome to the clan, Dave. Yeah, I, I'm I'm truly floored by that because I had I had no idea, and my great times five grandpa apparently was born in Ireland. So, which is my like the last name Hogue. His name was Robert. So. I thought that was kind of cool. You might have just started a blood feud with some other family that didn't know that you were of the the Robert Hogs. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, they're like street fight. I can feel it. <laughs> I'm snapping my fingers if you can't hear it. Anyways, yes. So in this episode, Dave finds out he's Irish. Um, at least partly. Partly. Well, and you're also you said your family's been here like forever. Yeah, you know, for what. Uh, as uh, reliable as Ancestry.com is. Well, it's on the internet, so it has to be true. <laughs> it has to be true, yes. Clearly. Um, in the 30 minutes that I spent following my deal, yeah, quite a bit of uh, my family was in America in the uh, well, this is 17th where, and 18th century. Yeah, this, so. is, this is where we differ greatly. My, uh, my mom's parents came over in the 50s, and my dad's Great grandpa came over like in the Irish potato famine. Yep. Just like everybody else. Yeah, like really. Everybody else. Yeah, my mom's mom is hundred percent Swedish, her parents. But even in that, they were I think they were here in in the nineteen twenties. Great time to come to America. <laughs> Anyways, uh that's been History Corner and <laughs> Familial Heritage with Dave and Cam. <laughs> And Back to our re- oh well nope, no, continue. and I did do my whole like DNA thing, so I'll I will uh, share that when that comes. I've had okay, so you've done it, and I've had a few people at the coffee shop that have done it too, and now I'm like, I really know like my mom's 100 percent Scottish, and we can trace her dad's clan all the way back to like 1100. Oh, so wow. like we're pretty good that the That's- Camerons are Scottish <laughs> as Scottish gets. Like we're good there, um, but that doesn't mean that. Over the course of the last 900 years, they haven't, you know, married folks from other parts of the world. Uh, and then we're pretty clear that my dad's dad, super Irish, like mm-hmm. super Irish. So, you know, hence the pasty skin and the freckles that I, that I wear pride, proudly. Uh, but my dad's mom, we're not really sure. She's German and a whole bunch of other stuff. So for that reason, I'm tempted, but it's like a hundred bucks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe not this week. One day, Dave. Well, and One actually, day I shall swab my cheek with cotton, <laughs> send it and, off to some scientist. Yes, and actually and I he think... He can throw things uh, at the dartboard and tell me that I'm part Arabic and part Australian. And Well, that's... So, actually, um, I think whatever one is associated with Ancestry.com is actually $69 for a little while. So I was kind of like, oh, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Save 30 bucks. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I am like... I'm willing to put money down on that, like, 
three-fourths of my ancestry, you know, they're going to tell me 75% of me is from Northern Europe. And even as we discussed earlier, that can have a wide variety, but I know I'm a white guy from Northern Europe, but I'm just, I've got my fingers crossed truly of just like the, please give me something that's interesting and a little bit different than the white guy from Europe. So, (laughs) um, I'm secret. I'm hoping that uh, Wilby and I are related way back. So, well, we shall find out. We shall find out. I guess we're all, you know, we all descend from Noah. So, yeah. <laughs> you look pretty. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough of that garbage. Sorry, we were talking Game of Thrones before we recorded. So, incest is fresh in the brain. <laughs> The Anyways, narrow, the narrow family tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whew, all right. Uh, refocus. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 106. Yes. Uh, we did get follow up. Um, so here's a little insider secret, guys. We tried to record this episode two weeks ago, and about 45 minutes into the episode, my computer restarted and we lost everything. Mm-hmm. So this episode should have been out two weeks ago. And for the first time in 106 episodes, technology bit us right in the keister. And I was not happy. <laughs> yeah, we just packed up and kind of were like... Just quit. Like, nope, going home, going to go punch the pillow or something. <laughs> so upset. So sorry for the delay for those of you that have noticed that we've been gone for a while. Um, not our intent. But we did get follow-up and from Jerome, longtime listener, longtime friend of the show. Long time follow upper. Yes. About good questions, good comments. Yes. About our uh, discussion, we talked a bit about homosexuality last episode. And frankly, it's been like a month. So I don't remember exactly what we said. Um, but Jerome did send some follow up in, and we have been doing research on that follow up, and we will uh, respond to it in the near future, just not this episode. Um, so Jerome, thanks for writing in. First of all, always appreciate it. And secondarily, if anyone else wants to write in, we will respond. This one is just, there's a lot to consider and a lot to think about and some research to do. So we don't want to come at it, um, half-heartedly. True. We want to make sure that when we do respond, especially on a topic that is so, uh, hot, in politics and in religion today, whether you're on one side of the fence or the other, or somewhere in the middle, like there's just, there's a lot of loaded, um, dialogue. And, uh, we want to make sure that when we do respond to Jerome's questions and, um, even suggestions that we do so, uh, from a place of, um, research and knowledge and not just like, well, my daddy said, cause that's really not what the show's about. Um, I mean, we, we often kind of spit out our opinions, but you know, when someone pushes back on them, we want to make sure that we respond appropriately, uh, and with the respect and, um, research that I think is, is required to give someone who's, you know, done their part to push back on us. We want to make sure that we come back with, you know, intelligent discussion. I absolutely agree. And I, you know, I, I do believe that, um, homosexuality and just how we respond to it, 
um, this particular time and age in the early uh, 2000s is, um, I think it will be difficult to look at this part of history and not have the discussion of homosexuality come up. Um, I do think it is a, um, I, I just think it's a very, we are at a very unique um, time in terms of how the church and how society as a whole uh, is responding to um, the issue of homosexuality. And even as I say the issue of homosexuality, I am fully aware that I'm talking about people. I'm talking about human beings and don't intend to merely write it off as a quote-unquote issue to be addressed. But um, definitely think that this is going to be a a central piece to what happened in the early uh, part of the 21st century. So... Um, I would agree for sure. It's uh it's too large of a cultural and theological and political discussion and uh revolution and um change to what has been the status quo that uh I, I don't think it's going to fall by the wayside in any history books. Uh, it's just too it's just too prevalent of a um, discussion or um, lifestyle that anyone could could ignore it. Um, so that being said, if you do want to uh, write into the show, um, you can do so. You can email us hello at supermegacorp.net and just put masterclass uh, in the subject line. Uh, that would be great. So you can send us some long form stuff like Jerome sent us. He sent us quite a bit in that email. So that that's part of the reason why we're taking our time. Um, but if you just wanted to uh, do something quicker, you could get us on Twitter. David is at David J. Hogue. I'm at Cam Brennan. Um, links for the email and Twitter will be in the show notes. Um, if you want to see those show notes, you can either uh, go to supermegacorp.net slash 106, or sorry, slash masterclass slash 106. So again, if I can do it correctly, supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 106, and you'll be able to see all the show notes there. Or if you're listening on your mobile phone, chances are your podcast app has those show notes in there for you. Mine does. Indeed. Uh, so anything else before we... Dive into John for the very first time? No. All right, then. Let's hit it. All right, here we go. We're going to read John uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 18. Probably won't get through all 18, but we'll, uh, we'll read them. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore a witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Yep. All right. So this is, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, like a really familiar passage, especially taking Greek in college, we had to translate this and it was Ooh. a doozy because there's a lot <laughs> of repetitive words yeah, yeah, here yeah. and are. a lot of ideas that are repetitive, but it's not necessarily like the English version is, doesn't read well, like as you notice, there's a few times where you had to make sure you were reading it because the word order is like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so every time I come upon a familiar passage to me, um, my initial thought is, Psh, I got this. And then I'm like, no, 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 you don't. Just, just calm it there with the attitude, Mr. Brennan. And uh, I try and slow down uh-huh. when I read a passage that I feel like I'm familiar with because I know that I'm going to gloss over a lot of what's actually happening here. Um, so I find it interesting that he starts with in the beginning. So like, that's how the Bible starts, right? In fact, the very same three words. Yep. So um, not subtle. We can agree there. In I the beginning yep. was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's confusing. Although for those of you who are not, looking at the Bible as you listen to this, word is capitalized. True. Yes. So that gives us a little bit of a clue in terms of how English works, that we're talking about a proper name. Yeah, proper noun, yeah. Um, or, yeah, proper noun, so. And so uh, that's another translation thing. I wonder how they came to that conclusion. Probably based on the context of what happens after it, because the capitalization is totally a... English. Translational yep. Yep. decision. Um, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we, what we'll see as we go through this, and you probably heard it as you listened to Dave read it, there's a lot of things that are repeated, and then we kind of move on to something else that's repeated a few times, and we move on to something else that's repeated a few times. Mm-hmm. And so obviously here in the beginning was, sorry, in this the beginning of what we read, there is the beginning is repeated and the word being with God is repeated. So obviously the author is trying to get us to pay attention to what is the word or who is the word or what does that mean? And why is it so important that this thing person was with God in the beginning and in fact was God? Mm -hmm. Like why could he just say in the beginning, God? (laughs) Yes, I think that is very true. Um, so you said you translated this from Greek. 
And I think there is significance to what word is in Greek. Logos. So L-O-G-O-S. Yes, not logos. Logos. <laughs> and so um, there's four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And really, each of the four Gospels sort of has a different audience in mind when they're talking to it. And John is not speaking to a Jewish audience. He's actually speaking to a Greek audience, correct? Yeah, and that's why he uses Logos instead of Messiah or some of the uh, more Jewish terms for this being. Yeah, absolutely. So at the time John is, is, is writing this, Logos is this kind of concept of there's something transcendent about a thought or even the spoken word. Um, it exists between the divine and the material world. And, I, you know, honestly, I'm not, I don't consider myself a philosopher. I live in the 21st century. Technology kind of rules the day. It's not a far stretch to me to kind of go, there really is something unique about a thought. It kind of exists in this sort of abstract place. Um, uh, something that just popped into my mind that I hadn't really thought about going to was uh, I have a son who cannot speak in terms of, you would describe him as nonverbal. He makes an effort. He can say mom, he can say dad, but he really can't put together a stream of consciousness in terms of this is what happened to me today and this is how I feel about it. And so him and I were sitting at the dinner table last night as he's in fifth grade and he's learning to read. And I just asked him, I said, can you, the, the words that you hear me say, the words that you are learning, can you hear them in your head? And he kind of like rolled his eyes a little bit and thought about it for a little bit. And he looked at me and he kind of like gave me this like, yeah, dad, I, I do have this voice that, that occurs in my head. And Again, I'm not I'm not trying to go anywhere incredibly deep or be anywhere profound in this, but I think this is a very simple sort of step in towards of going there is something profound about a thought. There is something profound about what occurs um outside of this material world or a spoken word and really saying that a thought or an idea exists between the material world and the divine really is not a far stretch. It's pretty, at least to me, it seems like it's a pretty like, okay, yeah, I can grasp that idea. And that is very much what John and his audience knew Logo, Logos to be. <laughs> not Logos. Nope, not Logos. It's not a design podcast. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> just, wow the fact you laughed I'll take okay just forget the rest Dave alright so he was in the beginning with God and was God we can get to that later because that's a whole episode right there that's that a whole, whole conversation hypostatic union there's your big theological term for this episode Ooh. Uh, yeah look that up um, 
all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's one of those English sentences. It's like, nope, that's not English. I'm sorry. No, it's not. So essentially, in layman's terms, everything was made through him, and anything that was made was made through him. Nothing exists that wasn't made through him, essentially. Correct. So everything that we see was made through him. Mm-hmm. The stars, the sky, the ocean, the mountains, the trees, the birds, stupid possums. <laughs> like, what was he thinking when he made possums? I'm just going to make this really, really wretched creature that stinks and is ugly and is trash. And when you look at it, just it reminds you of Satan. Yeah. I, I have that same. You know what would be really funny? It's like if you get to heaven. And possums are like the friendliest, cuddliest little things ever. Like, I would find that quite funny. Them and raccoons are just like the nicest little things ever. And dogs are like, don't touch me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't that be quite the turn of events? Yes. Total tangent, but I have very intimate experience with possums, yes. I so don't want to (laughs) ask. It's a whole nother Why did you have to phrase it like that? Because it was truly like a, I want to just so it's it's a it's a police story. <laughs> so long story short, did you walk in on some possums making baby possums? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, that's what you're saying. <laughs> no. So this dude has possums in his kitchen. And that's a bad idea. And it's not just he has possums in his kitchen, but when I go on this call, I'm ready to be like. Hey, bud, I'm the police. I'm out of here. I'll see you later. This isn't my problem. You can call animal whoever tomorrow. And he's like, man, I just need your help. And like, I walk and he's in a trailer, like an actual mobile home trailer. Mm -hmm. He's literally moved everything out of his kitchen into his living room. And I mean, stove, furniture, all the cabinets are empty. All the drawers are pulled out, everything. And there's a, there's, there's actually two baby possums underneath his sink. Long story short, Dave gloves up, grabs the possums by the scruff of the neck, and removes them from the guy's trailer. <laughs> Woo! Dave handled the big, bad baby possums. That's the name of the sh- this episode, <laughs> by the way. Okay. I, I will also have to say that at one point during this call, big, bad Dave, the police officer, screamed like a little girl. <laughs> Hold on, I have to write that down. Dave screamed like a little girl. Okay. So, yeah, I I assume that God has a reason for creating everything that he did. Um, Because, again, complete other tangent here. So I'm convinced that armadillos are actually possums with with armor on. (laughs) And at least that's kind of, like, cool. I'm also convinced that possums are only... No. I only ever see dead armadillos. I've never seen a, a live armadillo. So maybe when possums die, they turn into armadillos. That's possible. It's possible. Then my two armad- my two possums are now armadillos. Oh, God, rest their souls. <laughs> and they are scary. And they really do do the whole, no. like, <laughs> Yeah, they're terrifying. <laughs> and that has been Animal Planet Corner with Dave and Cam. <laughs> Thank you a- for listening. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and up next, Steve Irwin. Oh, wait. Aww. Oh. Anyways, wow, that was low blow, Cam. Uh, 
yeah, so Jesus made everything. Wow, this was really better last time. Why did that one get <laughs> why did that one get erased and this one's still going? <laughs> Here we are. Oh, Lord help us. So one of the things that does stand out <laughs> to me is that Genesis one says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, all that. And we get down to verse three, and it's and literally the creation story is and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, it was good, gave it names. Um, but God spoke, and things came to existence. Well, what is it that you speak? You speak words. And so, um, with John 1 and, and Jesus being the Word, I, I just truly think that there is a, and I'm not even going to try to hash this out or dissect it, but just Jesus was ever present in the creation story. And I do believe that there is this, this intimacy, there is this relationship, there is a correlation between Jesus and the creation and the spoken Word and who He was that we can't even begin to comprehend. I think John does his best by referring to the to the word and logos and that sort of thing, but it still falls short for us trying to put a finite God in a finite world. I would agree. Yeah, and so if we think of Jesus as the word or the actions of God, yeah. that is reflected in the fact that Jesus came to earth, was born, lived, and then, you know, died and, and sort of carried out the will and the desires of God. Mm-hmm. So that makes total sense to me. And, and connecting Jesus in that way to not only his, his uh, time on earth, but his um, part in creation like you start to see how all this sorts of sort of um, fits together mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Which I find very interesting in light of what happens later on in this passage, where you know he shows up, and they're like, "Yeah, no, sorry," but the fact that the darkness has not overcome it. Um, when I hear stuff like this, I'm always reminded of the movie I Am Legend. Remember that? Mm-hmm. The Will Smith. Yeah, and when he finally comes across the uh, the lady and and the little boy, and she's never heard Bob Marley, and he freaks out about that. Um, but he kind of goes on the everyone is dead. Everyone you ever knew or loved is dead. Like there is no God. Like, uh, and and she's like, you know, in the, in the quiet you can. You can hear his voice, and um, she calls the uh, the the walkers, the zombies, whatever. She calls them light seekers. Or no, no, dark seekers. Dark, yeah, dark seekers. Um, but the whole idea of like the light overcoming the darkness, like she's the hopeful character in the whole thing. And so for me, that's always a a sort of uh, image that comes to mind when I see passages like this. Like, no matter the amount of darkness around, like, the darkness has not overcome the light. You know, it also brings to mind, like, uh, uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, 
especially the movie. Um, I mean, obviously the books are always better than the movies, but the movies give you the visual images to sort of retain and the, the look on Tilda Swinton's face when, as the, which she slays Aslan on the table and, Oh, the darkness is over and everyone. And then Aslan's like, sorry, (laughs) back to life. And you know, everything turns on its head. It's like, even when the darkness thinks it is one, even when it looks like there's no hope, even when it looks like the darkness has consumed everything, it still has not overcome the light. And um, that's just really encouraging to me. That may not be, you know, the most intelligent thing I've, you know, ever said, but it just, there's, there's just some times when just knowing that no matter what the present situation is, knowing that Jesus has already overcome, mm, yeah. like, man, talk about, like, it may not remove the situation from your life. It may not solve the problem that you're facing in, like, the immediate, but just knowing that, like, that just removes burden and removes pressure. Um, in ways that a temporary solution couldn't, you know? Cause like if someone would be like, all right, here's the deal. I can promise you eternal. I can promise you that in eternity, the light will always overcome the darkness and you will have a place in the light or, well, and that may not solve your immediate problem or I can solve your immediate problem and not guarantee you anything beyond tomorrow. I would like to think that I would choose the first option in give me eternity, you know, on, on the winning side Mm -hmm. and let me deal with this now knowing what is coming as opposed to, yeah, just solve this. And then tomorrow we'll just start over. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, I don't know. Yeah. There's something about hope that's just kind of, you know, uh, nice and contagious. Well, that's I, I, that's actually kind of one of those questions that I've asked myself, you know, throughout my time here on this planet is, is, so do I really believe that Jesus won? Do I really believe in eternity? Because if I really believe that, then the way I live should be different than the way I'm living. Or in the moment of dealing with something stressful and kind of where I want to just get consumed by it, kind of taking that step back and just going, I really need to view this from eternal expect from an, an eternal perspective versus my like myopic sort of all consuming. Oh, this sucks to be where I'm at right now. And it's like, eh, no, I know who wins in the end. And from an eternal perspective, this is very stupid for me to be so consumed by this. Yeah. I think we, we operate in that weird, like, you know, if if you do any um, reading or listening to like not even scholarly, but like pseudo academic um, discussions about um, you know the nature of the kingdom of God in the here but not yet, yeah, and like th- that's how bad English is. That the best we can come up with is here, here but, but not, not yet. yet. <laughs> like, oh god, that's awful. We could. There should be a word for it, but there isn't. The Germans would have a word for it, Probably. and it would be eight syllables long. And it'd be <laughs> awesome. It'd be so good. Um, but like, we kind of operate in this this now but not yet or here but not yet 
type of life where, yeah, if we, if we, you know, truly believe, which I think that we do, then our life should be different. But at the same time, salvation isn't a, you know, all sin ceases to exist from here to, in, in God's eyes it does, but in our everyday lives, the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us and with other Christians to build our characters into something that resembles the righteousness of Christ, right? If I understand the Bible. (laughs) Uh, And so while it might be easy to say, yeah, if I truly believed in eternity, then my life should be different. Yeah, absolutely. It should. But one does not go from sinner and enemy of God to perfect in a day. Like you're either perfect or you're not, right? Right. And Christ calls us to be perfect, but he also gave us the Holy Spirit and the Christian community that we should be in to build us into that, right? Like a... You know, he is the potter. <laughs> I am the clay. Oh, we nailed it, Dave. <laughs> we even harmonized a little bit, I think. A I little know. bit. A little bit towards the end there. We'll take it. We'll have to play it back for Olivia and Caroline and see if they approve of our vocal renderings. Yes. So, anyways, my point in all of that, besides the fact that we got to sing on the podcast for the first time, uh, is. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I think it's it's that that sort of thought should be ever present in the am I living a life that is worthy of the calling that Christ has placed on me? Like that's always the question we should be asking, but it at the same time I don't think you should look at your life and get down in the dumps that you aren't, you know, Jesus himself. I think you you ask that question and you do your best to answer it and, or, or even better, you have people that love you, know you answer that question because they can point out the things that you may not necessarily um, want to see. And then the, the Jesus like thing to do is to change for, you know, the good, for the light, for the better. Um, Cause like if the, if the requirements for salvation were, what have you done for me lately? Or what's your track record? Or let's weigh you on the scale. Like it's just any other world religion, right? Absolutely. And the one thing that differentiates Christianity from everything else is Jesus and what he did and why he did it and who he did it for and what that does for us in the eyes of God. And so I think it's always good to be auditing our decision-making, our, um, uh, our motivations for things, uh, our insecurities, and to be having those discussions with other, with, with other people because th- that can, you know, bring insight. Um, I also think it's just sometimes it's just really nice to go, oh, God, I'm so glad Jesus has this for me. Like, really, I'm just having a really bad day for whatever reason. Like, if anyone, you know, Jesus understood stress. He understood some days are just not home runs. Yeah. Some days you're just like, okay, Sorry, God, like, this one's just a mulligan. But even in that, Jesus still has us. Absolutely. You know, the light doesn't overcome the darkness except on your bad days. No, the light overcomes the darkness all of your days. Yep. And, and that goes, you know, into the, the grace and, and, and the hope and the mercy and, and all of that is just, I don't know. 
my mind's going a mile a minute right now. It's funny that you say that my mind is going a mile a minute because that's absolutely what kind of what I was thinking. I was like, there was so much in, you know, back to the way I think what you started in terms of here's a verse we are familiar with, and there was so much to unpack in this. And I've had like multiple thoughts as, as you've been talking and as I've been, as I've been sharing. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with a couple of things here. Um, the first one being, and this might be a little bit cheesy, but it's something that in my life has, I've, 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 I've found somewhat fascinating is that there is truth in light overcoming darkness. If I am in a completely dark room and I light a match, that match is going to overcome the darkness. I can't add darkness to that room to overcome the light. The smallest amount of light is always going to overcome uh, darkness. And, and that is kind of like a, that's like a, a truth of, of like physics. You know, it's not just... <laughs> yeah, darkness isn't an actual thing. It's just an absence of light. It's an absence of light. And really, the only thing that, uh, you know, is going to, like, if I, so if I light a match in a dark room, the only thing in terms of darkness and overcoming that is distance. And that's kind of like how I view our relationship with God. You know, the light's going to always overcome the dark the darkness. The darkness is not going to overcome the light. I can't add more darkness, but I can add distance. If I'm farther away from the match, I'm not going to see what I want to see. And so, um, uh, I, I don't know. So that's, again, it's kind of a rule of physics. It's, it's just a tangible thing for me that just goes, wow, light over always overcomes darkness. And the only thing that for me, is how close I am to God, my distance. Um, the second thing is, and this may be a, bit, a little bit of a stretch here, is I recently read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and um, verse 28. So Paul, Paul is kind of going through all the things that he has dealt with as a Christian, and just kind of saying, hey, it's been tough for me to do my job. In, in verse 28, he simply says, and apart from other things, so being shipwrecked, all the, the persecution, being whipped 39 times, all that stuff that he's dealt with, he adds, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And um, I know this was a question that we had or something that we had discussed earlier in a podcast, can't tell you which one it was, is, is anxiety a sin? Is being anxious a sin? Uh, because Paul is the one that tells us, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition, present our request to God, and, and he'll answer our deal. But in this verse, Paul is saying, I'm anxious. There's this burden, there's this weightiness that falls on me um, for all the churches. And I guess in essence, I'm just, I'm saying that this is, I think, a little bit of what we are talking about in terms of if I take Paul and if I could be like Paul, even to, you know, the smallest degree, I would take it. Mm -hmm. 
But here's Paul, the very person who tells us not to be anxious, saying, this weighs on me. This is a burden with me. And it's that tension um, of just living in the here and now of the it's here but not yet kind of a thing in that as human beings, we are going to have anxiety. We are going to be anxious. There's going to be a tension for us of, and Paul knows this better than anybody, that it's not his doing. You know, while he's anxious about the churches, he's probably not going to be held responsible for them. He probably has no concrete sort of, well, why didn't you do this? Mm-hmm. But there's a weightiness to him in terms of eternity and all those things, and saying, I wish everybody would do what they're supposed to do, and I wish the church was this idyllic idea of heaven that we have now, but the reality is, is no, we are existing in the fallen world as Christians, God interceding on our behalf, but yet it's still not this kind of perfection that we uh, know is going to be available to us in heaven. So, not sure that that totally makes sense, but... No, you're good. Uh, I wonder if anxiety is like anger in the sense that in certain circumstances, based on what the motivation for it is, it's totally fine, and in others, it's not. I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, like, it's okay for Jesus to get mad about what's being done to the temple. Oh, yeah. And it's probably okay for Paul to be anxious about the state of the church, but, you know, being anxious about how many Twitter followers you have, probably, you know, not worth your time. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's interesting. The message here kind of says, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. So. And again, I'm not going back to the original uh, translation, but there is kind of this sense of, I'm anxious, Mm -hmm. which is the very thing he tells us not to be. So easier said than done. As are most things, unfortunately. Well, uh, I think we're going to call it there for... We only got through the first five verses, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, which is fine. I, I again, there's a lot. There is a lot. Um, two things before we go that stood out to me that I just—I don't know how important they are, but they seem important to me now. Uh, one, and maybe we can visit this more next time. Um, Jesus putting John, the author of this, is putting him is putting Jesus on the same level as God. That Jesus and God are one and the same. And this is one of those verses when you run into people that are uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or um, Latter-day Saints, i.e. Mormons. Um, Jesus being fully man and fully God. Not something they totally accept. And this is one of those verses that personally I have seen the translation kind of break down a little bit in terms of Jesus being equal to to being God, in terms of Jesus, of the Word being with God and the Word was God. Uh, The other thing that just kind of reminded me as we were reading this that maybe we can come to a little bit backward, come back to again, is um, it talks about John in this book. 
And we're talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is different than John the Apostle who wrote this book. And so, not totally critical to our discussion tonight. But helpful to know. But helpful to know as we move forward in these verses of um, very much John putting Jesus on the same level while being God, and that uh, the John that is referenced to in John 1.1 is John the Baptist, and actually not John uh, the author. So, Duly noted, sir. And hopefully we'll dig into those a little bit more later. Yes, we'll be back uh, next time with the rest of our discussion on this passage. And until then, I say, Auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. Goodbye.